With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You know who else? Whoa, big thunder. Okay. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the winning three consecutive WNBA All-Star three-point contests to Allie Quigley. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? It's going well. Please tell me more about Allie Quigley. She won her third consecutive three-point contest at the WNBA All-Star game this weekend, which is very good. I think if you win something three times in a row, that's good. That is very good. Has anyone done that in the NBA? I could not tell you off the top of my head, Yeah, but three in a row, very impressive. So she put up an incredible performance. The WNBA All-Star Game happened. Sad that it was at the same time as the finals game. It feels like that was a scheduling issue that could have been avoided. Yeah. But, you know, here we are. I guess they just couldn't make it work. I know that they were trying to work around the MLB All-Star Game as well. Shout out to me doing our first baseball reference for once. But yeah, I mean, the WNBA All-Star Game was a good time. Team WNBA upset the Olympic USA team, which Mm -hmm. is now just kind of setting the standard of all of the American basketball teams losing their exhibition matches, which is just a great sign for (laughs) uh, team unity and dominance. USA, USA. (laughs) Liz Cambage didn't even play. She just sat on the bench and ate popcorn, which is an absolute incredible vibe. And Arike Ogunbowale, apologies if I did not pronounce that properly, but she won the All-Star Game MVP. She scored 26 points on 5 of 10 shooting from 3. And it was a fun time. I wish it wasn't at the same time as a finals game so I wouldn't have to flip back and forth. But an enjoyable experience and good things happening at the WNBA All-Star Weekend. That's when you have to do the watch one thing on your laptop, watch another thing on the TV sort of move. Pretty much. It's basically what I was doing. Had the finals on the TV, had the WNBA All-Star Game on the laptop. Fun stuff. But before we talk further and deeper about more basketball things, we have to truly get centered and prepared. And we love to do that in a little room that we like to call the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal's doing great, isn't she? She's doing so well. So many great things for Teal. You know who else is having a lot of great things happen for them? Who? That's our patrons. I thought you might say that. (laughs) We've got a whole wonderful group of patrons that are supporting the show and keeping it going, and we want to take the time to give a special shout-out to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shubidubidu, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang! He Sells Seashells, LeBron James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Zachary, No Jazz No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kiyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Anna Borgeli, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! 
Gang, Brown Men Can Jump, Jimmy Butler for Two, Long Suffering Timberwolves Fan, Roast Beef Debris, and Christ Paul. Yeah, thank you very much to our patrons. And uh, Shubes, do you want to tell the fine folks who are listening what our patrons get access to during the NBA Finals? Yes. Yeah, we've been putting up reactions after each Finals game. It's been a fun time. They have been video, so if you want to see our faces as opposed to just hearing our voices, that is available to you. It's for all levels of patrons, so it doesn't matter what tier you are at, you can watch these videos. They've been fun. We talk a little bit more about the X's and O's, so if you've ever wanted this podcast to be a little bit more basketball-y, there is your chance. But also, we still talk about silly things and go on tangents and all the goofs that you know and love from horse, so if you want to check those out. You can watch all of them and the ones that we'll be making going forward, since it looks like this series is going to go longer than just four or five games. Exactly. Uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash horsehoops. Yeah, who knows? It's been fun reacting. Maybe we'll do some reactions to the reactions and then reactions to the reactions to the reactions. Do a little Bo Burnham inside action. It could be a good time. We'll get super meta. We'll get very introspective. So many possibilities <laughs> that's going on here. <laughs> you know what else is providing us with different possibilities by supporting this show and our podcasting endeavors? I tend to think it's probably our sponsors. It is the sponsors of this episode. We have two sponsors, the first of which is Stitch Fix. So if you have been watching the NBA Finals and you see all of the cool clothes that the players are wearing on the sidelines, they've got their fun warmups, and you want some new cool clothes, you could get clothes with Stitch Fix. Especially if you don't like regular online shopping where you have to try to figure out where to even look and you don't know. You can use Stitch Fix where you fill out a style profile, you get matched with a personal stylist who will send curated boxes directly to your door with clothes that they feel fit what you're looking for, whether that's your style, your budget, your preference of fit and feel and look. They factor all of this in. They send you a personalized box. Then all you have to do is try on the clothes you receive. You pay for whatever you keep and whatever you send back, you just put it in a little prepaid, taken care of envelope, ship it back to them. You don't pay for any of that stuff. And then boom, you've got clothes. What an easy way to shop. It's a fantastic way to shop, especially in the day and age where people don't have the time nor the interest in going out to shop in person. If you know what your sizes are, if you know the sorts of stuff that you're into, Stitch Fix is a great option. And I have to say, I don't know who we know at Stitch Fix or who we can get this on the table of, but you know how like Steph Curry does ads for Express or whatever? How in the world has there not been a Walt Clyde Frazier Stitch Fix collab? I mean, it's right there. Want to dress like Walt? Well, Walt will curate a box for you Can you imagine how glorious it would be? It would be truly fantastic, and you wouldn't want to send anything back. And that is lucky for you, because if you go to stitchfix.com slash horse, you'll get 25% off if you keep everything in your fix. So that's stitchfix.com slash horse gets set up, and you will get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. So head on over to stitchfix.com slash horse and get some sweet clothes, whether you wear men's clothes, women's clothes, or you want clothes for your kids. And if you're in the U.S. or if you're in the U.K., Stitch Fix is there for you. So again, stitchfix.com slash horse. Yeah. And this episode of Horses also brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. They offer 50 menu and market items each week, including ready-to-eat salads, sandwiches, and soups. And there's something for everyone to enjoy with HelloFresh. All of their recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I will say, I've always had simple but delicious and very fresh meals with HelloFresh, so seems true to form. I've had nothing but good food-related experiences with HelloFresh. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I I, in, in the time that I've been doing horse, I think I've received like three boxes and I have not had 
a single meal that I didn't actively enjoy, which is saying something. Right. The stuff is very easy to cook. It is simple. They make it very easy for you and you can do it very quickly. Some of those boxes have some really good stuff. I've made some really good bulgogi bowls before, which I'm a big fan of. Some bibimbap bowls, which I really like. And You just like bees, don't you? You just like terms. You, know, you just like food terms that start with B. Yeah, I, I'm a one-track boy. I mean, they also have really good burgers. Speaking of it, HelloFresh has some quality bee-related food and food with other letters as well. Burgers, bulgogi, bibimbap, b-ball. I mean, <laughs> it all fits. So if you want to try a HelloFresh, you can go to hellofresh.com slash 14horse and use code 14horse for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Again, go to hellofresh.com slash 14horse and use code 14horse for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. So check that out. Get some food, save some money along the way, and you can be eating bee-related food just like your favorite basketball boys, <laughs> me and Adam today. Bee-related food just sounds like honey, but... <laughs> hey, they have sometimes send you honey in the ingredients, they so do. it goes so many different directions. <laughs> and before we move on to Full Court Press, we just want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective, and if you're looking for new podcasts to listen to, you should check out some of the other shows that are a part of Multitude. Exolore is a show that I think you would love. If you've ever wondered what life would be like on a planet different from our own, or how writers create your favorite fictional worlds, Exolore is here for you. Every other week, astrophysicist slash Folklorist Dr. Moya McTeer explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders, or reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. You will learn, you will laugh, and you'll gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. Subscribe today by searching for Exolore in your podcasting app or go to exolorepod.com. So now we can go to our next segment, Full Court Press. Get it like the news? I do. Mm -hmm. Well, aside from the WNBA stuff, there is the NBA Finals going on right now as we currently record this on Thursday, July 15th. It is 2-2, two to two, heading back to Phoenix. The Suns won the first two games. The Bucks won the second two games. You will be hearing this episode after the pivotal game five takes place, but we have a very exciting series on our hands. It's now a best of three for who wins the finals. I love these two teams. I love how exciting these games have been. It is great to see a competitive series. But a Suns-Bucks final, there's no star power. How could it be interesting? Boo. Boo. <laughs> also, there is star power. I mean, Chris Paul and Giannis are stars and mm -hmm. Devin Booker, but uh, it's been a terrific final. I've heard other people speculate about this, but this is starting to feel like the sort of thing where every team just wins all of its home games. Could be. And if that's the case, then I guess Suns in seven, which doesn't have quite the ring to it as Suns in four did. But uh, I am glad to say that you and I were both wrong. We we both, and we'll talk about this a little more for our patrons, we both thought that it would be a close game four, but that the Suns would ultimately prevail and then close it out in game five. That is not the case. Now, frankly, the pressure's on Phoenix to win game five much more than it is on Milwaukee because the Bucks can play, you know, a little loose, I think. If they somehow steal one in Phoenix, they can come home and close it out in front of what I can only imagine will be an incredibly raucous Milwaukee crowd. And uh, man, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really fun series in this last game in game four. That Giannis block is just an absolutely iconic play that's going to go down in NBA Finals history. Just to stop an alley-oop is ridiculous. It's up there with the LeBron Iguodala block. It's it's that good of a, 100%. Of a block. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing play. We'll put a link to it at the episode page of Hoopsoups.com. But that play was just truly fantastic. And it's been a really fun series so far. I'm excited to see it continue. I still feel like the Suns have a slight edge just because I feel like their team is a little deeper, a little more well-rounded, but 
The Bucks really, really showed that they refused to die, I think in all of the games, but also in the series. To be down 2-0, yeah. to come back to win the next two, shows lots of resiliency, and I would be happy with either team winning. I have a slight preference for the Suns, but it's just a feel-good story no matter who wins, which I think makes for a very compelling NBA Finals, and the quality of play has been really good. And it was nice that this past game was so close. Some of the other ones didn't have as close of scores, but still felt more close. Mm -hmm. But this game four was so back and forth. Seemed like the Bucks were out of it. They fought back and the lead kept changing and so many dramatic moments. The ridiculous no call on the Devin Booker foul. So, oh many, so many things happened. Oh my God. Oh my God. It was an intentional <laughs> foul. How was mm -hmm. that not called? Mm -hmm. Because he had 5,000 that would have been that, in six. Exactly. That's that's the kind of shit that makes me think like, okay, clearly the refs understand that there are certain players that they need to keep in these games. Like that left a really bad taste in my mouth. It was so egregious. It wasn't like a 50-50 call. It was like literally clotheslining someone or hugging them the way that you do on a fast break or on a clear path foul and they just called nothing. It was unbelievable. It was ridiculous. And I am glad that the Bucks won that game because if yep. they had lost, especially if Devin Booker made an important shot or had an important stretch of plays, that would have looked really bad since he should have been fouled out of the game since that would have been his sixth foul and he wouldn't have been able to play the final three and a half minutes. So I think in terms of the NBA being happy that the whole story of this finals did not become, well, the Bucks probably would have won this game if Devin Booker actually was called for that foul. Right. I think the NBA breathed a huge sigh of relief and we don't have to do all of these what if, what if, what ifs, which is good. Yeah, it just, it, it feels very unfair when you see some of the fouls that are called on less famous players. Agreed, agreed. So we'll see what happens with the rest of these games, but it's been a very fun series and I'm excited to further talk about it with you in more detail on Patreon later. But the other thing we wanted to discuss in Full Court Press is not as much fun, and it is the Rachel Nichols ESPN situation going on between her and Maria Taylor and ESPN as a whole, and it's just a mess. And it's not great. Yeah. Do you want to fill us in on, on what you're talking about here? Because there's a lot to unpack. There is. So on the website for this episode at horsehoops.com, we're going to put a link to a New York Times article that summarizes it very, very well. Shout out to Kevin Draper, who wrote that article and did a very good job of recapping it because this story dates back to the NBA bubble. Remember that? This goes all the way back to July of 2020. So prepping for the finals of the 2020 season, Rachel Nichols, who is a analyst and she hosts some shows for ESPN. Most notably, she's the host of The Jump. She does a lot of coverage for actual games itself, but she's a big face in ESPN's broadcasting around basketball. Yeah, and has been for a long time. Right. And she's done a lot of interviews with players, has a lot of name recognition, seems like a good person until what we've learned now. So she was eyeing being the host of the NBA Finals for the 2020 season. But ESPN decided to go with Maria Taylor, who also is a part of ESPN's basketball coverage. She does NBA Countdown. Basically, Rachel Nichols and her had done different versions of the role that they were going for for the finals. So both were in contention. I think Rachel Nichols has more experience just in the longevity of her career. But mm -hmm. that is not to say that Maria Taylor is not good. And also, right. just for context of the story, Rachel Nichols is a white woman and Maria Taylor is a black woman. That will make contextual sense once we get into the controversy of it. But they're both very 
solid at this job. I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other. So what happened is that ESPN was going to go forward with picking Maria Taylor, and Rachel Nichols was very upset about this. She hopped on a phone call on July 13th with a guy named Adam Mendelson. This guy is an advisor to the Lakers and LeBron James and LeBron James's agent, Rich Paul. I don't know exactly what that means, but it feels like he's just one of those rich guys that has his fingers in everything in a bad way, and I inherently do not trust this man at all. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want him to give Adam M's a bad name, but I kind of agree. Oh, no. But the reason Rachel Nichols has a relationship with this guy is that he is the person you have to go through to get an interview with LeBron James or Anthony Davis, who is also on the Lakers and also represented by Rich Paul. So during this conversation, they ended up talking about career advice in terms of what should Rachel do during this whole situation. And... Uh, unfortunately, Rachel Nichols said some not great things, and the call was accidentally recorded. Accidentally, eh? Yes, actually accidentally. So what happened was that she didn't know that her camera was on, so I'm assuming she was using Zoom or some sort of thing that ESPN uses. Mm -hmm. And because ESPN does a lot of things like podcasts and TV shows and stuff where they're recording everything, I think... They didn't give the exact details. It seems like it's the kind of situation where stuff gets recorded and then kind of automatically uploaded it, probably as a safety measure to make sure they never run into the, oh, crap, I didn't hit record issue. But Rachel Nichols had that turned on, so at least her end of the call, but I think you could still hear what this guy was saying, bits and pieces of it. That Mm -hmm. was at least recorded, and it was uploaded to ESPN's servers, and there are employees that are regularly in those servers, so someone saw it and then videotaped it on their cell phone and then passed it around, and then it just made its way all throughout ESPN and then into media outlets and stuff like that. So there's some quotes that Rachel Nichols said that weren't great. One of them says, quote, I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy longtime record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it from me or taking my thing away. So maybe ESPN was choosing between these two options because Maria Taylor is a black woman, and that is a thing that ESPN has struggled with for a long time. Sure, unfortunately, Rachel Nichols is saying that the only reason, or at least implying that the only reason that they did this is because of her race and not because Maria Taylor has earned this position. And that's just like the classic white person, white privilege, never believing that someone of a different race could earn something off of merit, but thinking that any time that a white person does not get an opportunity, well, it has to be affirmative action or a diversity play or whatever, which is just not the correct approach to this type of situation. Right. And look, I am sympathetic to the fact that Rachel Nichols has worked very hard. She has gotten to a certain stage of her career and of her life and feels that she is entitled to certain things that she has worked for. I understand that. I think anybody, even if you take race out of it, which is, of course, wildly important here, but even if you're willing to take race out of it, nobody wants to feel like something that they have earned is being taken away through no fault of their own. So from a very base level, I do understand that element of it. But to talk about it the way that she did, I don't, I'm not, I don't even think she's racist. I'm not even saying that, but it just, it's it's very hard to hear that and not interpret it the exact way that you've described, which is like this kind of sense of entitlement that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a tough look for sure. Right. And that quote just kind of gets to what people took such offense with this is that 
whether it's at ESPN or beyond, it seems like there is an unfortunate trend where white people will put up a face seeming like they are accepting and welcoming, but then anytime it affects them personally in any sort of negative way, then they are not so kind or behind closed doors, they're not so kind. And this other dude, not to put a bad name on Adam M's, but this guy, <laughs> not great because he's also involved in a lot of other different realms. But one thing that he is, is the co-founder of LeBron James's voting rights group, More Than a Vote, mm -hmm. which does a lot of pro-voting activism. He, even though he did this about things going on in 2020, said, quote, I don't know. I'm exhausted. Between Me Too and Black Lives Matter, I just got nothing left. And then Rachel oh, Nichols boy. laughs at this. So that's just a really tough look for both of them. That's just disgusting from this Adam dude. And laughing at it is not the correct response. That's an awful thing to say. Well, right. And and I think that's what we've seen a lot of over the past year, year and a half. And we're all guilty of it to some extent, this notion that like, oh yeah, I support the right things. I am a good person in the sense of like believing in what's right and what's wrong. But ultimately, I'm not going to inconvenience myself in any way or change anything about my behaviors or, or anything that I do to help advance the cause that I claim to believe in. Right. It gets back to don't remember what the name of it was, but it was just the different levels of fighting against white privilege. And one of the final steps is being okay with putting yourself backwards mm -hmm. in order to make a situation more accepting, welcoming, diverse, etc. And seems like Rachel Nichols isn't going over that final step. And the way that her and this guy talked about it is just, it's just really gross. So Maria Taylor obviously was very upset with this and didn't want anything to do with Rachel Nichols. And then as they continued to do coverage together, Marie Taylor insisted that her and Nichols not appear on the show live together, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. I would not want to work with someone who said rude things about me like that. So then ESPN had to work around this to where they were making sure that the two of them didn't appear on the show live. So Maria Taylor is the host. Rachel Nichols would sometimes be the sideline reporter. And normally those people would be live. But Taylor said, I'm not appearing live with her. So what that started as was having other reporters step in. But then what it turned into was ESPN reducing the live opportunities. But the problem with that is that that then set the careers back of Lisa Salters, Cassidy Hubberth, and Malika Andrews, who are all ESPN sideline reporters of color because they would be live on the show, but to kind of make Rachel Nichols not seem like this one special case, they did it for everyone. So then it just got really messy. And I think what is kind of getting lost in the story, because at its surface, it feels like Maria Taylor versus Rachel Nichols. Really, it's just ESPN having a terrible setup for the way they run their company and addressing this problem horribly and letting this just kind of fester for a year before all the stuff started coming out in late June, early July about right. it. And it's just an absolute mess. And I recommend everyone read the article for the full breakdown, but other notes from it is that Woj at one point called Rachel Nichols a bad teammate, which I think is just funny coming from Woj. I don't know why he got into the mix here. I guess he's on the show, but it's just funny that in the report they were like, Woj called Rachel Nichols a bad teammate. Because Woj bombs are not specific to NBA trade information. Exactly. It can be anything. And then once all this started coming out with this New York Times piece and, and other media outlets getting a hold of the story. For this 2021 NBA Finals, Rachel Nichols was going to be in that sideline reporter job, but because of the comments, they replaced her with Malika Andrews. So she went from maybe being the host 
to being the sideline reporter to not being there at all. And then Rachel Nichols gave a very half-assed apology on the jump. The apology was shorter than Giannis's free throw routine when he shoots two free throws. So less than 30 seconds, not ideal. They should have had um, Phoenix Suns counting up to uh, oh. 12 during Rachel Nichols' apology. <laughs> and then finally, Adam Silver was asked about it. And in the deflection of the year, Adam Silver said that the situation was disheartening, particularly because it pitted two women in the industry against each other. Great way for him not to actually comment on the situation. But like we're talking about ESPN, he did later bring up that that's part of the problem. He says, quote, I think part of the problem is that, as I said earlier, when people can't get in a room and talk through these issues, this seemingly has festered now for a full year. I mean, this is an incident that happened, I guess, when Rachel was in the bubble a year ago. And I would have thought that in the past year, maybe through some incredible difficult conversations that ESPN would have found a way to be able to work through it. Obviously not. And I think he's right. Like, obviously, Rachel Nichols did some bad stuff. I don't think Maria Taylor has any fault. I think she is totally right to not want to work with Rachel Nichols in any capacity. ESPN has tried to get her to be more accepting of Rachel Nichols, but no, she shouldn't have to do that. I think ESPN has botched this from the beginning, continues to do so, and did so for a full year. And I hope that they get as much flack as Rachel Nichols is getting. She deserves it, but ESPN deserves it too. It's on them for handling this so poorly, top down, for a full year. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous. Ugh. 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 <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. I, I don't really have a lot to add other than to just reiterate the fact that this whole notion that people have in a position like Rachel Nichols, where ultimately what they're saying is like, it's just not fair. Like, this isn't fair. And the whole point is that, like, yes, welcome to the party. Right. A lot of people have to deal with things not being fair their entire lives and their entire careers. So I'm really sorry that it feels unfair to you in this moment, but... Welcome to the club. Right. And also try to consider all of the things in your life leading up to this moment that weren't fair to other people mm -hmm. because you inherently have some white privilege and just check that privilege. And I don't know, it's it's just it was very disappointing because it seemed like Rachel Nichols was a nice person. I, I never really had I wasn't super pro her, but I didn't I didn't expect this from her. And it's disappointing. And I just continue to wish all of the best for Maria Taylor. Her contract is up after this season with ESPN, so it'll be very interesting to see if she goes to another network or renegotiates to where she has a very prominent role in ESPN and starts to call some more shots. Right. It'll be interesting to see how that develops going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, uh, Shubes, did you hear about the controversy surrounding the betting line for the WNBA All-Star Game? I did not, know. So... When they were making the betting line for the over-under for the All-Star Game, the person making it for a very well-known, prominent betting line in Las Vegas apparently was rushing and didn't realize the WNBA All-Stars were playing the Olympic team. Because the whole point with this year was that they were like taking it very seriously and it was going to be a much more competitive game. So rather than look that up... This guy just went to previous All-Star games and based the over-under on that. But anybody who knew anything about the WNBA was like, oh my God, this over-under is like 50 points too high. And tons of people started betting the under. And it ended up being this enormous thing where this guy ended up having to change the initial line by 50 points, which is unheard of. Wow. Like, I think the initial over-under was set for like 250. And then by the time the game actually started, it was back down to like, you know, 195. And it still was under. Like, the, the final score combined, I think, was like 180-something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like a 93 to 85 or 86 game. Yeah. But it was a pretty wow. pretty fun story. of, uh, And we'll put the link to, to an ESPN piece about exactly what happened. But it was pretty interesting. 
interesting. Also, final thing, you mentioned Allie Quigley before. I know, I believe she plays for Chicago, right? Yes, she does. So there used to be an event at the NBA All-Star Game where they had WNBA and NBA players playing together, usually from the same city. But I would love a scenario where we have a Quigley Quickly <gasps> pairing. Ooh, yes, please. That could be very, very fun. You could put people with similar sounding or identical last names together, mm-hmm. and that could be a really good time. I think so. They'd be a really good duo just from a basketball perspective, too. <laughs> like, she's a very good three-point shooter, and then you'll quickly drives in as floaters. They'd be a great two-person tandem. You can even do like a, you know... I don't know what any of their relationship statuses are or, or you know, ah, but uh, I feel like Emanuele, ah. Emanuele is a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good name. Pretty, the first names work, the last names work. It's all there. Who, who's to say? <laughs> well, on this much happier note, now we can move into your three on three. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. Thank you very much. Uh, So as we record this on Thursday, July 15th, with the NBA Finals all tied up at two games apiece after an unbelievable individual performance by Devin Booker, I was inspired to do a similarly themed three on three. So I began with the intention of really dissecting the greatest individual performances to figure out which players and games were most deserving. But if I'm being honest, it was way too difficult to assess. So I scrapped the whole plan. Like, to factor in the magnitude of the game, the context of the era in which the game was played, and whether or not the performance came in a win or loss, naturally it almost always came as a win, the parameters were too broad. So, instead, today, I'm going to discuss the three highest scoring games in the WNBA and NBA Finals by an individual player. Okay, I love it. So we're going to start in the WNBA, and I will not shy away from the fact that I really don't know a lot about the WNBA, especially the the history of the league. So I have every expectation that you will know a lot more about the games that I'm referencing than I will. Uh, Also, a little sneak peek from my expanded five on five. One of the three players in the top three list is also responsible for the fourth and fifth highest scoring games in WNBA finals history. Can I just guess? Is it Diana Taurasi? It's not. Tarazi is not even Whoa. on this list once. Interesting. I guess, I don't know how many times the Mercury have won the finals, but maybe she just doesn't have enough finals games under her belt, unlike four-time WNBA champion Sue Bird. Exactly. Who is also <laughs> not on this list. Not surprised as much there. She is more of a distributor, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited to, to hear who these are. Cool. So at number three on our list, we have Simone Augustus of the Minnesota Lynx dropping 36 points against the Atlanta Dream on October 5th, 2011. Augustus was unbelievably efficient, 11 of 14 from the field and 13 of 16 from the free throw line in this game in just under 38 minutes of action. And just for the hell of it, threw in eight rebounds and three assists. The Lynx won a high scoring affair, 101 to 95. And here's a fun fact. The highest scoring performance in WNBA Finals history also occurred in this game in a losing effort. Oh my goodness. We'll get to that a little bit later in this segment. That's incredible. Yeah. Just a huge, one versus one, but also some other people are here too. Game. Exactly. Yeah. Two of the three highest scoring WNBA finals performances occurred in the same game. Wow. I would have to watch this one. 2011 was before I started watching the WNBA at all. So that would be a really fun historical deep dive to just watch two people go off. Yeah. No, I found a really good recap of the game, so we'll definitely post that on the website. Um, At number two, you'll certainly know about this. We got some Wubble action, baby. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Gosh, the Wubble playoffs were so fun. Do you happen to know who I'm about to reference? Is it Brianna Stewart? It is Brianna Stewart. Yep. So on October 2nd of last year, Brianna Stewart of your beloved Seattle Storm dropped 37 directly onto the domes of the Las Vegas Aces <laughs> in a 93-80 game one victory. 
Uh, in just over 37 minutes of action, Stewart shot 15 of 24 from the field, made the only two free throws she attempted, and, oh, you know, also threw in 15 rebounds. My gosh, yeah. Is is scoring one point per minute good? Uh, that sounds good. I'm told it's good. <laughs> I'm told it's good. Uh, 37 and 15, not terrible. That is ridiculous. She's a very good basketball She's player. And good. shout out to her for going immediately from winning the WNBA finals to winning some European-based finals and winning the finals MVP there as well. And then coming back and the Stormer doing well this year. And she's going to compete in the Olympics. She's busy. That that woman is busy. <laughs> she is busy. I don't know how she doesn't get burnt out, but apparently she's pulling it off in the same way that there are going to be a couple of players from the NBA finals who go directly to Tokyo. Right, right. Yeah. I assume much like Giannis we have talked about, I assume she has round the clock people just massaging her at all times. Oh my times. God. Do you know what I would do to have like a designated knee guy? That sounds so great. I think the number one athlete thing I would want is a personal chef, even though Mm. I love cooking. If I'm not cooking, if I got to do some sort of quick meal, it's usually going to be something not that great for me. Mm -hmm. If I could default to, oh man, I don't feel like cooking tonight. Hello, chef. (laughs) Oh man, what an upgrade instead of hello, Popeyes. Yes, that's true. But until you can afford hello, chef, there's always hello fresh. Use promo code (laughs) 14 horse. But yeah, basically, Brianna Stewart, nasty. The Storm, as you surely know, mm-hmm. would go on to sweep the series easily, winning by an average of nearly 20 points per game, including a 33-point blowout to seal the deal in Game 3. Brianna Stewart unsurprisingly walked away with Finals MVP honors, putting up a preposterous stat line of 28.3 points, 7.7 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.7 blocks, and one seal per game. Literally, what the hell? My goodness. Can we in our fantasy basketball team get WNBA players? Because that would have helped me a whole lot. (laughs) It would be nice. It would be very nice. There has to be WNBA fantasy, right? Right. It'd be cool if there was like a crossover where you could have people from both leagues. I would love that. If the leagues played at the same time, I guess, or you could do like a playoffs, NBA playoffs slash WNBA regular season thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could be fun. Seems like an opportunity to me. So finally, at number one, we have the Atlanta Dreams, Angel McCautry, Mm. who I embarrassed to say I had never heard of before doing this three-on-three. But in the aforementioned 2011 finals game against the Minnesota Lynx, the game in which Simone Augustus put up 36, McCautry dropped 38 points on 10 of 22 from the field and an absurd 16 of 21 from the free throw line, which... I wasn't able to find the answer to, but I feel like has to be a record for most free throws attempted by an individual player in a WNBA game, finals or otherwise. Like 21 that to be. That's seems like so a ton. Many. That's, some teams shoot that much yeah. in a game, so that is quite a few. I mean, she does have her bread and butter scoring near the basket, so I'm not too surprised. I did learn, the first time I learned about Angel McCautry is one of the times she either got traded or signed by a team. I remember reaching out to Jordan Liggins and asking what her deal was because mm-hmm. people were really, really excited about it. And she's like, basically, Angel McCautry's just been really good forever. Ever. Right. So, so that's kind of the summary. I'm not surprised that in 2011 she went beast mode. Yeah, no. And in addition to the 38 points, she also chipped in three rebounds, three steals, two assists, and a block shot. And again, amazingly, this performance came in a losing effort as Minnesota would end up sweeping the series. Uh, Simone Augustus took home MVP honors, averaging 24.7 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 4.7 assists across the three games. So talk about well-rounded. But McCautry finished the series averaging 31 points, 4.3 rebounds and three steals per game. And as I was mentioning, I found an awesome 15-minute highlight video of this game, and we will, as always, put the link on the website, horsehoops.com, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's amazing. I've been doing this with you for, I guess, like a year now, and I don't think I've ever mentioned the fact that when I first told my friend Justin, who was part of our uh, fantasy league, that I was doing a podcast called Horse Hoops, I guess I said it really quickly, and he was like, horse soups? And I was like, horse 
hoops. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I thought you said horse hoops. And I was like, what would that even, what does that mean? Like, what do, would you think that podcast would be? And he was like, I don't know, slutty soups, I guess. And I was like, I really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this pasta vazool really gets around. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe for a, a, a Patreon thing, I'm going to do the uh, mm. the top three uh, <laughs> sluttiest <laughs> the soups. Sluttiest soups. <laughs> I don't know what that would even be. I don't know what the parameters would be, but we can we can figure it out. Yeah, we'll find a way. So uh, go to horsehoops.com. If you go to horsehoops.com, I don't know what will happen. I'm not responsible for Do it for in an happens. incognito window. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Moving on to boysketball, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. At number three on our list, we have king of the potty shots and member of the iconic Barry dynasty, Rick Barry. Mm-hmm. Uh, on April 18th, 1967, Rick Barry dropped 55 points for the San Francisco Warriors. Down 0-2 in the best of seven series to Wilt Chamberlain and his Philadelphia 76. Barry stepped up when his team needed it most and shot 22 of 48 from the field. He shot 48 times. Yeah, that what in the Allen Iverson was going on that night? <laughs> it's a lot of attempts. That is yeah. quite a few. Quite a few attempts. He, uh, he also shot 11 of 19 from the free throw line, presumably underhanded. If you don't know what we're talking about, Rick Barry famously shot like a potty shot. He shot like how like a little kid shoots when they can't actually shoot the ball above their head. Also known as the granny shot. Granny you the ball shot, between yes, your knees exactly. And then you throw it. And he did it historically well. And there's science behind why it actually is better. Yeah. But no one will do it now because people want to look cool, which, you know, what's less cool? A potty shot or like airballing a free throw normally? You know what I mean? Airballing a potty shot. That's true. That would <laughs> That's definitely the least be the worst. cool. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so he shot 55 points and he also contributed 12 rebounds and five assists. Wilt Chamberlain, in a losing effort, dropped 26 and 26 because he was Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, he of also course. slept with 26 women at halftime. But again, that's a that's a, that actually happened for a future R-rated Patreon post. So the 76ers ultimately won the series 4-2. And while they did not start naming MVPs until 1969, it is fairly safe to assume that Wilt Chamberlain would have taken the cake with an absurd 17.7 points, 28.5 rebounds. And a surprising 6.8 assists per game. Wow, look at him go. not expected that. Yeah, look at him go. (laughs) At the time, uh, they did not record steals or blocks, which is a bummer, uh, but I really wish they had. In a losing effort, Rick Barry, for the series, averaged 40.8 points, 8.8 rebounds, and 3.3 assists for, for the entire series. My goodness. Yeah, just outrageous stuff, really. Uh, And unfortunately, there's no specific footage of this game, but I was able to find uh, a video with highlights from the entire series. And it's safe to say that the NBA has changed quite a bit in the last 50 years. Like, we'll (laughs) we'll put the link on the website and trust me, just watch it. Like, it's exactly what you think it would be. It's like this kind of grainy black and white footage. And I was like, here he comes, moving swiftly down the court. It's Rick Berry with Flourish and Panache. Like, it's just great. Flourish and Panache is my favorite store at Harry Potter in Diagon Alley. (laughs) Um, Just nursing a butterbeer while you shop at Flourish and Panache. (laughs) At number two, we have crying meme legend slash only guy to somehow pull off a Hitler mustache slash greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, (laughs) who dropped 55 on Charles Barkley in a finals game back in June of 1993, the last time that the Phoenix Suns were in the NBA finals. 
And you might be asking yourself, wait, isn't 55 the same amount that Rick Barry scored? How come Jordan gets the number two spot and Barry gets number three? And to that, I would respond, if you really have to ask that, you clearly don't know anything about me. Or Rick Barry, because Rick Barry's a jerk. That guy, is I, I guess Jordan is too. Yeah, Rick Barry's apparently not a nice individual. Prick, Prick Barry. Prick Barry. There was a podcast talking about how Wilt and Rick were the opposites, where Rick Barry didn't care what anyone thought about him, which is why he shot free throws underhanded, but he was a jerk. And Wilt Chamberlain was very bad at free throws, except for the one season when he shot them underhanded, but then everyone was making fun of him, so he went back. So it was this dichotomy of someone very concerned about what people thought of him versus the other. Rick Barry, I think, is just uh, is a very is a grumpy boy. He was yeah. ma- one of the, the godfathers of grump. Godfathers of grump. Now that is a rap album waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Wilt the Stilt and Rick the Dick. You'll love to see it. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the series. After the Bulls stunned the Suns, that sounds fun. That's a little, that's a little Walt Clyde Frazier for you. Mm, stunning the Sennings. <laughs> so after the Bulls stunned the Suns by winning the first two games in Phoenix, the Suns headed to Chicago and returned the favor by defeating the Bulls in Game 3. That set the stage for an all-important Game 4 in which Jordan was absolutely unstoppable. Playing all but two minutes of the game, MJ shot 21 of 37 from the field and 13 of 18 from the free throw line, also adding eight rebounds and four assists to his absurd 55 points. The climax of the game came on an and one play where Jordan hits an almost impossible layup to seal the game in the final moments. Naturally, we will put up a link to the highlights and this is kind of cool. You can actually find a link to the full game on YouTube. So if you have two hours on your hands and you want to kick up your feet and watch some greatness, I highly recommend it. The Bulls ended up winning the series in dramatic fashion in Game 6 with John Paxson hitting a three-pointer to seal the third consecutive championship for Chicago. Jordan unsurprisingly took home MVP honors, averaging 41 points, 8.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 1.7 seals, and 0.7 blocks. And for our younger listeners or anybody who didn't watch The Last Dance, Michael Jordan retired for the first time after this season. And while we're all grateful that he returned, at least the first time around, it's hard to think about a better example of someone going out on top. Like this was statistically Mm -hmm. Jordan's most dominant finals performance by a fairly wide margin. And he was like at his absolute zenith. Yeah, that's fantastic. Just ridiculous numbers. Uh, But finally, at number one, we have Lakers legend Elgin Baylor, who on April 14th, 1962, and by the way, isn't it weird thinking about the finals being in April? Yes, the the calendar is so discombobulated. Yeah. We got to get stuff back on track. I'm so confused. I know, it's very strange. Uh, But anyway, he dropped 61 points on the hated Boston Celtics in game five of an epic seven-game series. So with the series tied at two apiece, Baylor shot 22 of 46 from the field, very Rick Barry-like in terms of shot attempts. And this is impressive, shot 17 of 19 from the free throw line. And in case you thought that was all, he also grabbed 22 rebounds. My goodness. Come on. Wow. Uh, Now the Lakers won the game by five points in a game that featured 26 points and 29 rebounds from NBA royalty slash definitely a black man who coached the Celtics, Bill Russell. And even even more impressive was the fact that Baylor pulled this off at the Boston Garden. Wow, that's tough. Yeah, it's very tough. Sadly for the Lakers, although let's be honest, literally no one should feel sorry for the Lakers ever. The Celtics returned to Los Angeles to steal a game back in game six and then won game seven back in Boston by three points. Again, there was no MVP award at this time, but for the series, Bill Russell averaged 22.9 points 27 rebounds and 5.7 assists, while Elgin Baylor averaged 40.6 points and 17.6 rebounds. And Jerry West, aka the dude who the NBA logo is literally a silhouette of, averaged 31.1 points as well. And this is one of those series that, like, if you're an NBA enthusiast, you wish you could travel back in time and just be a fly Mm -hmm. on the wall in this arena. Like, it had to have been incredible. Naturally, the footage that exists from this game is somewhat limited, but I did find a two-minute clip narrated by Bill Walton, so you're welcome. We will put that clip up. And finally... 
Before I throw it over to your That Actually Happened, here's a fun little tidbit from this game uh, in which Baylor dropped 61. According to this video, at halftime, a locker room attendant for the Celtics took all of the Lakers' dry towels and soaked them in water so that they wouldn't have dry towels after the game. Like, that is some next-level petty right there. And that apparently actually happened. And uh, on that note, I will pass it over to you. Amazing. Wonderful stuff. I'm excited to see the other ones in the five-on-five. Hell yeah. So for my That Actually Happened, Chris Paul, a.k.a. the point god, a.k.a. Chris Paul, is... (laughs) playing very well in these NBA finals, and we're all happy to see him thrive. But his absolute peak, where he was the most Chris Paul possible, occurred in December of 2019. Hey, Adam, do you remember the time Chris Paul won a game for the Oklahoma City Thunder by tattling on someone for having their jersey untucked? I do not remember that at all. So this is the ultimate Chris Paul situation. If Chris Paul did not land a sponsorship with Untuck It after that, I mean, what's a guy supposed to do? Uh, Right? Right. So I will put a link on the website to a very good video breakdown of this by Tyler Parker at The Ringer. But here's the story. So it's December of 2019. This is the season where Chris Paul was on the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are playing the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the game is very close with 1.7 seconds left in the game. The Timberwolves are up by two, and they are taking the ball out of bounds. They pass the ball into Carl Anthony Towns, CP3 fouls him, and now there's 1.1 seconds left, and the Timberwolves are going to be shooting free throws. The Wolves coming into this game had lost 18 out of 19 games, and they were something like 13 and 45 on the season. Things were not going super well for the Timberwolves, and the way this game turned out for them somehow made it worse. So Carl Anthony Towns is at the free throw line. He is an 80% free throw shooter at this point, and he misses the first free throw. This is very bad because if he was to make both of them, they would have been up by four, and basically with 1.1 seconds left, it's almost impossible to win that game. Misses the first free throw, and after he does so, there is a substitution. On free throws, substitutions can happen in between the first shot and the second shot, and Jordan Bell, a player for the Wolves, comes in because he's better at defense than Shabazz Napier, who he's subbing in for, but when he enters the game, when he starts to walk onto the court, his jersey is untucked. Now, technically, this is against the rules. It is in the rule book. Right. Unlike any rule saying that dogs can't play basketball, there is a rule in the rule book that you are not supposed to walk onto the court with your jersey untucked or not fully ready to play because that warrants a delay of game warning. Delay of game in the NBA is just anything that happens that makes the game take longer than it should. So if a ball goes through the net and then a player hits it away from the referee, either intentionally or inadvertently, that is considered a delay of game. There's lots of different things that can warrant you a delay of game warning. And it goes for the whole team. You get one. But the second time you get one, it's a technical foul. So Chris Paul sees that this is happening. He approaches Scott Foster, an infamous NBA ref who Chris Paul hates Chris Paul hates Scott Foster, and Scott Foster does not like Chris Paul. As of recording this, Chris Paul is 0 for 12 in playoff games that Scott Foster has officiated, and Scott Foster is not one of the best refs. People consider him as potentially one of the crooked ones. He has ties to the Tim Donaghy scandal that we talked about in a previous episode of Horse, and he also made a weird comment to Chris Paul at one time, trying to joke that he refereed one of Chris Paul's Game 7 playoff games that he lost. 
he went out of his way to remind Chris Paul of this. Just a weird dude. And I think it was astounding that of all the people for Chris Paul to point this out to, it was the referee he hates most in the world. Yeah. Chris Paul says, and you can hear it on the microphones that are in the rim, on the court, etc. He says, quote, his jersey's untucked, his jersey's untucked. That's a delay of game. And you want him to make this free throw. And then Scott Foster blows his whistle and makes the call. Now, the reason that this is a problem for the Timberwolves is that they already received a delay of game warning earlier in the game. In the third quarter, when Carl Anthony Towns was going back onto the court, he took too long to get ice packs off of his knee, so they called a delay of game warning on him. So since this was their second delay of game warning, it is an automatic technical foul. And that means that the Thunder get to go down to their basket, shoot one technical free throw, and then the ball goes back to the Timberwolves to shoot their final free throw that Carl Anthony Towns has earned. While they're doing this, CB3 is walking down the court. He makes eye contact with Ryan Saunders, who is the coach of the Timberwolves. He says something, but his face was not facing the camera. So you can't see what he says. You can't hear what he says, which is a huge, huge, huge disappointment. But you can see Ryan Saunders roll his eyes and kind of laugh in disbelief, kind of like a are you kidding me situation, just how unbelievable this was. But of course, Chris Paul knew this rule. And of course, Chris Paul was going to call this out an important moment. So Danilo Gallinari of the Thunder makes the free throw. So now the score is 121 to 120 in favor of Minnesota. No team has any timeouts at this point. So there's 1.1 seconds left. Carl Anthony Towns' best case scenario here is actually to miss the free throw on purpose. Now, if you're listening, you might think, why would you ever want to do this? Well, there's only 1.1 seconds left. If he makes the free throw, it doesn't really make a difference because all the Thunder are going to have the chance to do anyway is just chuck up a three-pointer or a last-second shot. What would be more advantageous is if he misses the shot, the clock would start as soon as the, the miss happens, and then the... Thunder would not have enough time to catch the rebound and throw it up. They would have to do a full court heave, which they're probably not going to make. So what Carl Anthony Towns tries to do is miss the free throw on purpose. It's easier said than done Mm -hmm. because you do still have to hit the rim. So what Carl Anthony Towns tries to do is shoot it too hard to where it hits the back of the rim, which normally would result in a big chunky bounce. So he does this, but, and again, we'll put in the audio for it because even if you don't watch this play, you should watch it. You should go to the episode page and watch the situation, but you can just hear how absurd this shot going in was. It bounces off the back of the rim, it hits the front of the rim, it goes up into the air, it hits the backboard, and then it goes back in. And then Carl Anthony Towns throws his hands up like, are you kidding me? (laughs) What? Like, it's one of the ugliest makes ever, and it's so ill-timed for them because this is the situation where they wanted to miss. It's also just hilariously ironic that a team that's dropped 18 of 19 that probably, like, had games where they just could not buy a shot makes the one shot that they really don't want to make. Exactly. So what happens next is that... Steven Adams, lovable man from down under, takes the ball out of bounds and he has devised some sort of play with point guard for the Thunder, Dennis Schroeder. This was later confirmed with the Thunder's Instagram account, but there's a point during this free throw situation where Schroeder went up to Adams and told him, hey, if he makes this shot, I'm just going to run all the way down the other end of the court and then you throw it. Since the ball's out of bounds, the clock is not running. So he can have the time to wait, let Schroeder run all the way down, throw it, and then Schroeder can just catch it and try to shoot a layup. 
to tie the game, as opposed to them forcing this long three-point shot. So that is exactly what happens. He takes the ball out of bounds. Schroeder fakes in from the timeline area, which is between half court and the three-point line. He fakes like he's going to run towards Steven Adams, but then he pivots after a couple steps and just runs away from Steven Adams. And this completely fools his defender, Jeff Teague, on the Timberwolves. Adams throws a perfect football-style pass to Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder kind of boxes out, and if this was football, they might have called offensive pass interference on him, but it's basketball, so you're kind of allowed to do this. Kind of boxes out Jeff Teague so that Teague can't deflect the pass. Shooter catches it, makes a layup, time expires, and it goes in, and now the game is tied at 122-122, and it goes into overtime, and the Thunder just riding the momentum of this ridiculous situation outscore the Timberwolves 17-5 to in overtime and win the game. At the end of a stretch where you cannot win a game in your past 20 games. That's got to be so just unbelievably demoralizing. It's the biggest adding insult to injury I can think Snatching of. defeat from the jaws of victory sort of thing. Uh, yeah. It's rough. So, so rough. So obviously the story of this game became Chris Paul doing this because it led to it going to overtime and then led to them winning the game. So all the reporters start asking Chris Paul if he was looking for it. And they said, were you really trying to look for this intentionally? And he said, I just noticed it. It's a game. You know what I mean? We are playing a game, which is a great approach to it. I love that some people were upset that he did this. They thought it was dishonorable. No, I love this. You do whatever it takes to win the game. And if it means being petty and nitpicky, you do. Yes. You play to win the game. You do what you got to do. And he did what he needed to do. They're in an impossible situation. So you got to grasp at straws. He sees the opportunity. He seizes the opportunity. And one of the reporters asked him, did you know that the Timberwolves already had, and before he can even finish and say already had one, Chris Paul goes, yup. <laughs> It's so good. It's so fantastic. Chris Paul also had a great game that game, scoring 30 points, had seven assists, four rebounds, and two blocks. So it wasn't like he didn't contribute outside of this, but for him to have a great game and then just have the most Chris Pauly moment of knowing that this was a rule, having the basketball IQ to look for another delay of game in this impossible situation to allow this still nearly impossible situation to play out exactly as it did. It's just incredible. And it's the most Chris Paul thing to ever happen. And I love that it happened and I love him for it. And that actually happened. Wow. I kind of, I I remember this vaguely, but I want to go back and watch it now, having heard you narrate it. On one hand, like it it feels cheap. Like it feels like the sort of thing that shouldn't help a team win a game. But on the other hand, like credit to him for knowing that that was the situation that they were in. And, And it's also like gamesmanship to a certain degree. Like he's not cheating. He's not doing anything wrong. He's just bringing something that most people don't think of to the attention of a ref that he hates. (laughs) Right. And that's the genius of it is when the reporters were talking to him about it, he says more often than not, people from the bench will enter with their jersey untucked or something that breaks this rule. But he was smart enough to not bring this up every single time. Mm -hmm. But instead, he waited for the right moment when it would help his team win. And that moment was when it would force a technical foul. I love that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horace. Horace is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. Our website is by Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanis. And the art is by Allison Wakeman. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang. He sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Anna Borgeli, Mitch Chrysler. Bang! Bang! 
Lang. Brown Man Can Jump, Jimmy Butler for two, long-suffering Timberwolves fan, Roast Beef Debris, and Christ Paul. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because Horse Hoops had their jersey untucked and they got banned from Twitter. That'll do it. You know, it doesn't take a lot sometimes. <laughs> Go to our website, horsehoops.com, not to be confused with horsehoops.com, to find all the stuff that we referenced today, including some very fun highlights of the Christ Paul incident, as well as Rick Barry highlights, Elgin Baylor highlights, Michael Jordan doing his thing. We got McCautry, we got Brianna Stewart, we got all of it, we got links to everything. And if you want to support the show, if you want to watch us talking about the NBA Finals, or you want some sweet merchandise, you can head on over to patreon.com slash horsehoops. You will support this endeavor and get some sweet bonus content in exchange for doing so. And if you go to multitude.production slash merch, you can get some sweet horse merch as well, like Supnerds, it's basketball shirts, or replays of our past live shows. You can check all of that out at multitude.production slash merch. And we will round out this episode as we do every episode by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. May I? Yes. What do you think? What do you got? Well, uh, Mr. Schubert, you can relate to this a bit, but as of Sunday, I am an uncle. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So uh, his name is Malachi, M-A-L-A-C-H-Y, Malachi Wayne Mamawala Cantor. There's a lot there, Amazing. but I think it's a pretty Mm -hmm. dope name. I'm torn. I want to congratulate my sister. Let me do that. I'm going to say congratulations to my sister Shaheen and my brother-in-law Dave. 7-Eleven, baby. That's fun. That's super fun. Free Slurpees for life. So (laughs) if you will indulge me, I want to get a little welcome to the world. Maliki on three. Okay. Welcome to the world, Maliki on three. Got right. it. Cool. So, one, two, three. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the world, world Maliki. Yay. Love that. That's so cute. I like that you wanted to say congratulate your sister because I always felt weird when I became an uncle where people would say congrats because I did yeah. literally Oh, nothing. I did nothing. My sister was in labor <laughs> for 33 hours, so she did something. She did a whole lot of somethings. Shout out to your sister, and I wish nothing but the best for her and her entire family. It's an exciting time. Can't wait to meet him.